Well, good morning. Hey, welcome to Grace. Uh, at this point, I'd invite the kids, if they're going to head out to the additional uh, nursery, to go ahead and do that. And uh, for the rest of us who are sticking around, uh, turn with me in your Bibles. Uh, three places is where we're going to be this morning, so you can kind of begin in Genesis chapter 2, 1 and 2, is where we're going to get started. And then if you want to place your finger on uh, the second book, which is the Song of Solomon, kind of in the middle of your Bible, um, uh, that's the second book that we'll be in. So starting off in Genesis, uh, turning then to Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, and uh, then we'll wrap up our sermon in the book of 1 Corinthians. So those are the three places we're going to be. Uh, if you have your own Bible or a Bible in the pew back in front of you, that'd be great. If you don't, uh, the text should be up on the screen. Uh, we find ourselves in part two of a sermon series called Clouded, uh, Breaking Through, Wading Through the Fog of Sexuality. And uh, this morning, part two, uh, the sermon is entitled, Why Sex? Why Sex? It's a good question. It's an important question. And we're going to delve into it this morning, looking at the purposes of sex. So I trust that you're there in Genesis 1 and 2. Um, and uh, let's pray, and we'll dive right in. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for these folks that have come out on a very cold day um, to be warm in here, to be warmed with your love and your kindness, to be warmed with uh, a sweet fellowship of the Christian church, and to sit under your word. And Father, that's what we intend to do. That's what our hearts long to do. And I pray for those hearts who who may not want to do that, that you would soften them, um, that you would melt them, so that we would come and humbly submit ourselves and our lives our thoughts, our actions, our words, uh, to your word. Father, your word is um, it's altogether trustworthy, it's altogether good, and it's full of truth about every aspect of our life, including this most sensitive yet uh, significant subject of sex. Father, you have made us male and female, and you have made us sexual beings with desires, and intentions, and this is a good gift that you have given to your creation, and yet we are fallen, we rebel against you, and our hearts are hardened apart from the grace that you give us in Christ, and we screw up all sorts of good things that you have made, including this good gift of sex, and we use it for purposes and towards ends that are not glorifying to you, and they're not for our good. And so forgive us and change us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So uh, I've shared stories like this before, and so if you're familiar with me, it won't be a shock, but it's it's not an uncommon thing uh, for home improvement projects in our household when, uh, that is Shelly and I, mostly me, but when Shelly and I are involved in home improvement, for those kind of projects to end in utter frustration and oftentimes a damaged product. And so we uh, try to fix things ourselves because it's simply cheaper, Um, and yet oftentimes uh, I, as in we, as in I, uh, don't really do it right. Um, Oftentimes my own lack of experience um, leads me to choose and to use um, oftentimes the wrong tools for the job. And for those those of you who are handier than me, which is probably most of you, um, you know that choosing the right tool is probably half the battle. And if you choose the wrong tool to go with a project, it's not likely going to work out well, and you might do damage. And uh, I want to share with you a brief story uh, to my shame here. Uh, We were 
trying to fix our dishwasher a few months back. It wasn't working, and so we had the, uh, the face down. And for some reason, we had to kind of take off a part of the dishwasher. And so there was a screw-like thing. I don't know exactly what it was, but it was a screw-like thing. And it looked like it had a head, so I thought... I'm going to get a screwdriver, and I'm going to take this thing out. And so I got my screwdriver. It seemed to, 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 to match, and I start to, to try to unscrew it, and it's just not working, and I'm probably doing some damage, and I'm getting very frustrated. And my wife is very patient with me, and she says, like, she often says in these kind of things, let's call my dad. And so uh, we get on the phone, and uh, listen, I'm, I'm not above that, right? I call my father-in-law, and I say, you know, help us with this. And with technology these days, it's nice. And so I get on my iPhone, and I, we do the, you know, the video thing, right? And we show him, this is what it looks like, right? This is what's going on. What do I need to do? And uh, he said, well, what are you using? I said, I'm using a screwdriver. And he said, no, you don't, you don't need a screwdriver. You need a socket wrench. And in my anger and frustration, I said, what's a socket wrench? Now, I'll leave you to discern whether I actually know what a socket wrench is or not, um, but I hope you think better of me in that. In that. And uh, long story short, it didn't end well, right? I, I didn't use the right tool. I ended up hurting the dishwasher. Thankfully, we got it fixed with my father-in-law's help. Now, I use this uh, illustration not to tell you once again how poor of a handyman I am. And if you ever want to help me, just call, and that's fine. I'll call you. Um, but I use the illustration to make this, this simple point. Uh, when we undergo a, a, a process or when we, when we use a tool for its intended purpose, it works well. And yet when we undergo and use a tool for its unintended purpose without uh, thinking about what it's meant to be used for, Oftentimes, it does not work well. And I'd suggest to you, church, that uh, sex is similar to that. I think the same could be said of sex. When we use it uh, uh, in a wrong way, and when we use it not towards its purposes that God created and designed it to be, um, damage and frustration often will ensue. So I want to ask a question to you. I don't know if it's a question that you have ever asked or heard anybody ask, but I'm going to ask it to you this morning. And the question is simple. Why sex? Why? Why did God create sex? Why did God give us intimacy? Why, why did he do that? Another way to ask it that I will drive home real, really where I'm going at is what to what purpose did God give it to us? What are the purposes of sex? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever thought about it? Probably some of us have and some of us have not, but it's a vital question. And it's the question that I want us to ask and hopefully answer from the scriptures this morning as to answering the question, why sex? I want to read you a quote by a man by the name of Dennis Hollinger. And he's written a, a short book called The Meaning of Sex. And in that book, he says this, and I quote, We must probe the ends or the purposes of the gift of physical intimacy. Why? Well, a couple things, he says. First, understanding these ends or purposes, number one, enables us to capture God's intentions from creation. So if we want to know how to properly use and enjoy sex, well, the, we need to know what God created it for. Number two, he says this, and I quote, But such understanding is also essential to guard against the abuses and unethical practices that tempt us to fall in a fallen sex-crazed world. And so, why sex? 
I hope to answer that from the Bible this morning, and I think, in my humble opinion, that the Scriptures give us at least six answers to that question, right? So if you're taking notes, jot down six things. Five purposes that are subordinate. That is, they are not primary, but they're secondary. Five subordinate purposes that I think the Scriptures give us for sex. And then one ultimate, right? One main overarching purpose that God gives us, the gift of sex. So, are you ready? Let's, let's jump in. And uh, we're going to look at the first two, which are found in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We're going to do this often throughout this series. We're going to go back to God's design. We're going to go back to God's original creation and look at sex and sexuality from the beginning without a sin tainting our world. What is God's intentions? Well, let's look back at Genesis chapter 2 to begin with. And in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 24, we looked at this last week. We'll look at it this week. We'll probably look at it again in the future. But there in Genesis 2, verse 24, I think we see the first purpose for this wonderful gift of sex. Let's read it together. That is why, Moses writes, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. We're not going to focus too much on this verse. We looked at it in detail last Sunday. But what I want you to notice is that there is a particular order of events that should happen. And it's not... um, It's intentional, right? It's not haphazard. Notice the progression here. Number one, that is why a man leaves. So first of all, when we look at marriage and sexuality, there should be initiation by a male. He leaves his mom and dad, and then he is united to his wife. Last week, we talked about how this language in Genesis is covenant language. That is, the husband leaves his his once primary relationship of, hus- of, of mom and dad, and he creates a new household. Right? He creates a, a, a union. Uh, he's united with his wife. He makes a covenant with her. So he leaves, he cleaves, you could say. And then notice, what happens after that? It says, and they become one flesh. And we talked about how this describes a sexual union. So I'm not going to belabor the point, but here's, here's my point. The culmination of the marriage covenant between a man and a woman is capped off with a one flesh union or a consummation, if you will, of the marriage covenant. So the first purpose from Genesis chapter 2 that we see of this wonderful gift of sex is consummation. Right? It's the consummation of the marriage covenant that was made beforehand. In my humble opinion, a wedding, so think about maybe your wedding or your future wedding or weddings that you've been to. In my opinion, weddings typically have three parts. First of all, there is the covenant, and that happens in the ceremony. That happens when the husband and the wife-to-be exchange rings and they exchange their vows, and they make a covenant before God, right? And so there is a covenant element to a wedding. Secondly, there is a celebration. So uh, most of the time, that's a reception. There's a party. There might be a meal. There might be some dancing, right? There might be some other things, but it's, it's a party, right? And so we go from covenant to celebration, right? We go from the vows to the reception, and then we move to the consummation. And that caps off the wedding, right? That caps off this marriage union, covenant, celebration, and consummation. 
And that's the first purpose of sex. It's to consummate this newly entered into covenant. Now, I'd like to share another story that will be somewhat embarrassing for me. It seems to be a morning of uh, embarrassing stories, so here we go. Um, <laughs> and it relates to my wedding day. So to make a long story short, we had a, a lovely uh, wedding ceremony. We entered into a covenant agreement, my wife and I, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, at her church there, uh, actually in Owasso. And uh, we had a, a wonderful ceremony. And then we had a very, uh, a very nice a celebration, right? We had punch and food and cake and all of the stuff. We didn't have a dance because it was a Baptist church. And that's fine with me because I don't like to dance. And to be quite honest, I don't want anybody else to see me dance. So it's okay. So we had a nice, uh, a really nice uh, celebration. And then it came time to uh, consummate the covenant, right? And uh, as a single guy, let's just say uh, that's something I was looking forward to. Okay? Uh, and so we uh, get in the car, and we're on the way. We're traveling uh, to where we're staying that night. And uh, my wife gets a, uh, my then-wife gets a, a phone call. And so the phone's ringing, and she answers it. And it's four of her students from the youth group that she was a part of. So she, she interned at a church, and uh, so she was involved in youth ministry. And it was four of her students who had driven all the way from Dallas to Tulsa to come to our wedding. Now, they had gotten lost. So they took this turnpike, and they should have taken that turnpike. You know, they ended up where they weren't supposed to be. And so they uh, figured it out, and they're on their way. And these four girls call Shelly. And mind you, we're on the way to the hotel, right? And uh, they call her and say, hey, we're very close. We got lost, right? But we're coming. And uh, the, the celebration is pretty much winding down. We're, we, we, we've gone, right? And uh, what, how do you think I responded to that? Listen, I'm a loving husband. I said, you know, did I say, honey, I know that uh, you really wanted to see your friends and they wanted to see you, even though they were three hours late. Um, Let's turn around and let's go back, right? Let's go back and you can see your girls because they love you and they drove all that way. Think I said that? No, I didn't. Uh, I don't know exactly what I said, but it was something along the lines of, we're not turning the car around. <laughs> uh, it had something along the lines of, we're leaving, right? Um, much to my shame, I regret that now. But that's how it was. Because a marriage is not complete without the consummation of the marriage. And so, practically speaking, what does this mean? Uh, well, it means uh, lots of things. But it means that, first of all, every act of sexual intimacy in marriage is meant to affirm. And it's meant to solidify that unique covenant union in the marriage relationship. It's a physical reminder that he belongs to her and she belongs to him and to no one else. So the first purpose is consummation. Let's turn backwards in our Bibles to Genesis 1 because we find another, I think, purpose for sex in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. We read this last week and we might read it again in the future, but the second purpose of sex is procreation. Procreation. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Again, we hit this last week, so we're not going to belabor the point. But we see here that it's God's procreative command to the first married couple and clearly his intention of this uh, one flesh union is to result in procreation, other kids. It's to, it's to make other uh, image-bearing human beings to rule over his creation. So, so what does this mean? 
Practically speaking, what does this mean? It means that sex holistically, not necessarily every act per se, but holistically is intended to be a means of multiplying a godly legacy. You may be familiar with uh, author Dennis Rainey, Family Life, right? He, he, he writes wonderful things. His website, Family Life, is awesome. He, he says this on this passage, quote, Having children is an essential part of God's plan to pass on his word to the next generation. God's original plan called for the home to be a sort of greenhouse, a nurturing center where children grow up to learn character, values, and integrity. He says, and in no other setting does a child learn more about how to live and how to relate to God than in a family. And so sex is for consummation. And secondly, sex is to be a means, obviously, of procreation, but not just having kids, but having a godly legacy that will impact the world. So we've seen purposes one and two. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, it's right in the midst of the, of the poetical liter- literature in your Bible. Uh, there, I think we see at least two more, two more purposes for this wonderful gift of sex. If you'll turn with me to Song of Solomon chapter 7, that's where we're going to find our first one. There in Song of Solomon chapter 7, verses 11 through 13, I think we find a third purpose for sex, and that is simply this, love, love. For purposes three and four, we move into this poetical book of romance, the Song of Solomon. It's a wonderful study and worth investing in. Here, when you read through this poetry, eight chapters of love and of intimacy and of poetry, there in this book, we see several references to what I will say is emotional love. That is, it references the love between the husband and the wife, and it speaks to emotional love. That is how they feel about one another. They that you could say they are in love with one another. They, they have emotional love for one another. In fact, oftentimes, I think about three or four times, uh, the wife uh, uh, calls him, you whom my soul loves, or him whom my soul loves. And so oftentimes in the book, you'll see references to emotional love, this connectivity between husband and wife, which we call love. And yet also, if you read through the Song of Solomon, you'll find that the author, the the husband and the wife, they use the word love also, not just to refer to emotional love, but they actually use the word love as a figure of speech. They use it as a figure of speech to describe the act of sexual intimacy in and of itself. And so at times, it speaks of love, and it actually means sex. It's a figure of speech, as the act of sexual intimacy in this book is so closely associated with the emotion. So just one example is enough. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verses 11 through 13, says this, Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, If their blossoms have opened and if the pomegranates are in bloom, there I will give you my what? Love. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes send out their fragrance and at the door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, 
my beloved. This is a very sensual uh, invitation that the wife gives to the husband to get away and to go and enjoy sexual intimacy with her. She uses the word love. I will give you my love as it's so closely tied to the emotion. The reference to mandrakes there um, is that mandrakes were often thought of in that culture to be a, a stimulant, right? And so she's inviting him to an intimate moment. And the point is that this, we can conclude I think from this text and others, is that sexual intimacy is an ongoing expression. That intimacy between a husband and a wife is an ongoing expression of marital love, a unique bodily expression of emotional love. I really like what C.J. Mahaney, uh, by the way, there's a, list, there's a list of references that I've left on the Welcome Center. It's references on this subject, and this book that I'm going to quote is on that reference guide, so I, I direct you that way. But in his book, Sex, Romance, and the Glory of God, those three things are related? Oh, yes, they are, and we're going to see in a second. In his book, Sex, Romance, and the Glory of God, this is what he has to say about, about love here. He says this, But they do not desire, speaking of this couple, but they do not desire to be together simply so that they can experience sexual gratification. They want to be together because they are in love. And the sex they enjoy with one one another is an expression of that love. And then he writes, As a married couple, they have great sex because they love one another so completely, not the other way around. And boy, doesn't our culture think it's the other way around? And so, practically, this means uh, what for us? Practically, this this means that sex and intimacy is, is a wonderful gift that God has given to those who are married to express feelings, emotion, commitment, and devotion in a way that, that maybe we never quite could using our, our words. And yet, it's a it's a, a communication that God has given. Secondly, it means that sex is designed to be selfless. So if sex is equated with love, what is love in the Bible? Love is simply, I am doing what is best for you. Right? I'm serving you. I have your interests in mind. And I find it fascinating that, at least in this passage and others in Song of Solomon, sex and love are synonymous. They're used as to describe the same act. And I think it tells us that, secondly, sex is designed to be selfless. It's an expression of love. And that's why I think selfish sex is counterproductive. It's counterproductive. It's not how God has made it to be. Viewing sex and intimacy as what I can get rather than what I can give is detrimental. It's detrimental to the marriage. The very best sex is when husband and wife focus not on themselves, but on their spouse. And so we've seen three purposes. Consummation, procreation, and Song of Solomon, love. And fourth, pleasure. Pleasure. Now that one should seem obvious to everyone, and yet it may not be so obvious because many people tend to think that God doesn't like it when we have fun. And that God doesn't like it when we enjoy things in life, when we have pleasure. In fact, the psalmist describes uh, that the right hand of God, there are, quote, pleasures forevermore. And so God is the creator of all good things, including sex and including pleasure in sex in the context of marriage. 
several places in this book, the Song of Solomon could be noted to point out that there is pleasure in sex. You read through all eight chapters, it will become very obvious. But one, just one example is enough, I think, and it's in chapter 4. So if you flip a few chapters backwards uh, to Song of Solomon chapter 4, starting in verse 12 through 16, it says this, He says this to his wife, You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants, now notice the the, the images. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna and nard, nard and saffron, calmus and cinnamon, with every kind of incense tree, with myrrh and aloes, and all the finest spices. Verse 15, You are a garden fountain, a well of overflowing water streaming down from Lebanon. Verse 16, Awake, I believe she responds to him, Awake, north wind, and come, south wind, blow on my garden, that its fragrance may be spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Now, I don't really need to describe much more than that, but it's obviously talking about the pleasure of intimacy between a husband and a wife, and God approves. He created it that way. It's one of his purposes. But what we do as fallen human beings is we take one purpose of sex, and we say that must be the purpose of sex, and we forget the context of sex, and we forget all of the other purposes of sex, and they're meant to work together in the context of marriage. What's interesting is that in Proverbs chapter 5, you don't have to go there, but it's on the screen. In Proverbs chapter 5, there the author actually commands husbands to take pleasure in their wives. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. And so the fourth purpose of intimacy is simply pleasure. And I think that means practically, among other things, is that we can honor God and we can thank God by enjoying with our spouse the pleasure that comes from sexual intimacy. It's a good gift from God to be enjoyed. I heard a, I heard a joke once, and so I'm going to share it with you. It's about a, a Sunday school class, and there was a man, and he was there alone. His wife was not with him, and he was in the Sunday school class. And uh, they were praying after the Sunday school class, thanking God for various things. And uh, kind of out of the blue, uh, the man prayed up and piped up and said, God, thank you for the gift of sex. And everybody moved on, although, of course, faces were red and things like that, and there might have been a few giggles. Um, and so after the class, his good friend pulled him aside, and he said, Why do, you can't say that in church. Why did you say that in church? Why did you thank God uh, for the gift of sex? And, and to which the, the man responded, Well, uh, my wife and I are, are intimate just, just once a year. And the, the second man kind of you know, said, well, I'm not sure if that's really something to be thankful for, you know? And uh, to which the first man replied, yes, but last night was the night. It's a good thing to thank God for. So we've seen consummation, procreation, love, and pleasure. With our remaining time, let's turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. Because there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we're going to start. And then we'll move to chapter 6. We see the final two purposes of sex. Now remember, I said there are five subordinate purposes and one ultimate. 
here in chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, is, is the final subordinate purpose of intimacy and marriage. And it's what I will say is protection. It's meant to protect the marriage covenant. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, reads this way. Now, for matters that you wrote about, Paul writes, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. He's going to go on and elaborate later in chapter 7 to talk about the benefits of singleness. And we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Verse 2, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. He explains, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Well, we could comment quite a bit on what's going on here, but let me try my best to summarize for you. Here, Paul says that each spouse has an obligation to meet the sexual needs of their spouse, of their fellow spouse, because in reality, they belong together. Her body is his, and his body is hers, he says, right? In addition, he explicitly commands spouses to not deprive one another of sexual intimacy, but for a very specific reason. And what's that reason? Prayer. If there's a specific reason and you're so focused on that, then, then do that. Abstain for a while, but only for a time period. And, and, and why? It's so that Satan may not tempt us to look outside of our spouse, outside of our home, for fulfillment. And I think what that means is that sex, inside the context of marriage, is meant to be a safeguard. It's meant to protect the marriage, right, from infidelity. Paul here, I think, gives us guidelines. Here's how I interpret and apply this. He gives us guidelines by which married couples can protect their marriage from infidelity. But I don't think he gives specifics. What I think he does is, in God's wisdom, I think he leaves the specifics to each and every marriage. So there are questions as we think about if we're married or we're going to be married, how do we apply this, right? Questions like this. How often does intimacy need to occur for this to happen? You have to figure it out. What if one partner's needs are different than the others? I bet that's likely. How do you figure that out? What about mitigating circumstances in life that may hinder intimacy for a time? The birth of a child, a prolonged illness, emotional struggles, fatigue. How do you deal with that? I think Paul gives us guidelines and he says, couples, you work these things out in obedience to God. So, sex is for protection. Last and certainly not least, sex is for the glory of God. If you will turn with me just one chapter back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is commenting on men in the Corinthian church who were having sex with prostitutes. Okay, so it it merits a chapter worth in the the Bible, right? So he takes a whole chapter to deal with that. I just want to look at verses 18 through 20. It's kind of a summary verse, right? He's dealing with sexual sin. But I want us to, to see his logic. Verse 18, he says this, Flee from sexual immorality. 
It's a catchword for sex outside of marriage. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Notice his logic then. Do, not, do you not know that your bodies are, are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, what's his conclusion? What's his capstone? What's the, the point that he's driving home when he's talking about sexual morality and immorality? Therefore, what? Honor, your translation may say, glorify God with your bodies. Here, I think, conclusively, Paul tells us that the final overarching umbrella purpose for sex is the glory of God. That, that shouldn't surprise us, right? It shouldn't surprise us because the Bible over and over again tells us that all of life, that everything that we do as Christians is for the glory of God. In fact, Paul explicitly tells us a little bit later in chapter 10, verse 31, he says, so whether you eat or drink or what? Whatever, right? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, how, what, what's the purpose? What's the end as Christians? Do it all for the glory of God. And certainly, whatever means whatever. And included in that whatever is sex and sexuality. And so what Paul is saying is that as Christians, our body is not our own. We honor God with every part of our life, including our sex life. As married folks and as single folks, we seek to honor Christ because the glory of God is the purpose of life. And it's the purpose of everything that we do. It gives him glory and it brings us joy, including our sexuality. He created it and it's good in context. Life is about God. It's not about us. In sex, ultimately, it's about God. And it's not about us. So, I want to get back to our original question as we close. Why sex? Why? What are the purposes? Has your personal experience of sex been like my experience in my home of using the wrong tools at the wrong time and not getting the right results, often causing more damage than good? Or has it been in line with God's grand design and purposes? Regardless of how you may answer that question, from this day forward, our practice as Christians can be in line with the purposes that God has given us when we use sex for consummating a marriage covenant, for procreation, for expressing, expressing love, for enjoying pleasure, for protecting the marriage covenant, and ultimately for glorifying God in the context of marriage. Then, sex, why sex? It's used in a way that honors God and brings us great joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that your word has revealed. Father, these are touchy things, and many of us, all of us, have fallen short of your standard in one way, shape, or form, or another. And so we come as broken people, and yet we come to the, to the healer. We come to the doctor. We come to the one who offers forgiveness of sins and uh, the doing away of regret and shame. We come to the one who can wash us clean, of all of our mistakes and who can come and indwell us and change us and cause us to desire to use our bodies and our sexuality and our sex in a way 
that ultimately glorifies you, for that is what we were made for. And that is what gives us great and enduring and eternal joy. And so help us, we pray, to align our lives with the purposes of this good gift that you have given to us. We ask for your help. We need much grace. And yet, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And we ask it in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Thanks for letting me go a little long. Next week, we'll continue on the subject. Thanks.